Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It is me, Chris Denson, your gracious host. Yay! You're not gonna. You're just gonna dance to to nothingness. Is that, is that what's gonna happen? Um, That's a great thing about not having cameras right now is that we can be super silly and nobody will know. I know. Um, but by the way, if you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things marketing, innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things. Um, and I'm kind of intimidated today. First of all, I have, I have a guest whose who's voice is almost deeper than mine, so I, I feel like I got to man up a little bit. Um, say hello, Hakeem. Hi, how, see how what, are you see doing? what I mean? Nice see? to meet you, Chris. Awesome. You know, nice don't, even, you know, don't even talk. Yeah. I'm just going to talk to, to Peely. Uh, Peely, say hello. How are you? Hello, everybody. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. So thanks for the invitation. I know. And you're so professional. Like, you, like I mean, you outclass me in the hosting department. Oh, so Well, I don't know about that. But yes, I've been, a, I've been a TV host for many years now. Started off as a VJ at MTV. And now I have my own show. And I won an Emmy. And this is awesome. And I came this like, this bumping me. Yeah. Um, so I like I'm your just... silent celebrations. Like you, you, you nailed it. Like you're doing silly stuff, but <laughs> like I'm a serious uh, scientist, Chris. I don't, I, no, I don't, no, I don't I do tell. silly. That's right. That's right. Tell. But yeah. but just excited to be here and and to share this time with you with Chris, who's pretty awesome as well. So I knew you. I knew you, Peely. I knew it. You knew I it. I knew right? it. I knew the name. I didn't know. You're like, like this uh, name. New York. No, uh, Chicago. Chicago. Chicago? <laughs> Inside joke, everybody. Inside joke. That's why I, I love alienating my audience. There you go. Um, Hakeem. Yes. I guess for starters, how about uh, how about you give us the 90-second version of Hakeem Olusheyi? Oh, yes. I've so, been practicing. But all right. right. Yes. That was really, really good. I don't think anyone ever has said it so well. All right. So 90-second <laughs> version of Hakeem. I, I, I'm a very curious guy, so I do science. I like to think of myself somewhat as like a science mercenary, you know? So I've worked in different fields. Wherever there's a problem, let me just go solve it. Hey, didn't somebody say that in a rap? If there's a problem, <laughs> I'll solve it. Check out the because my DJ revolves it. Are we quoting Vanilla Ice? Let me put this out we channeled, here. We didn't just quote him; we channeled him. Now, let, let me let me put this out here because I feel like listen. If you were around, then you know that that song was the jam. So everybody's dissing Vanilla Ice because he wore the big pants <laughs> oh, and everything. No, but no, Ice no, Ice no. Baby dominated. We're here at Innovation Crush, and Vanilla Ice was one of my first crushes. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there. And he was innovative. Like yeah. I, you know, he was what? Eminem before there was Eminem. Exactly. <laughs> he was kind of he was like he was transitioned between Beastie Boys and Eminem. Like it was like he was the the mishap face. I right, just right. love how he shaved his eyebrows. Yeah. You guys remember that? Right. He, so he, cool. You know, having Not. a big hit like that. Remember Third Base? They never did that. Right. Uh, Gas face. Yes, <laughs> so there, so, uh, yeah. So continue. That was a, that was a good tangent. Uh, oh yeah, about me. Yeah. So, so if I'm, there's I'm a like problem, a you'll solve it. Yeah, if there's a problem, I'll solve it. But you know, I also love people and helping people. So I also like travel around the world and try to do for others what was done for me. So you know, I was this little kid in various communities in the deep south and uh people showed up and said hey man you know why don't you get into this why don't you get into that and it led to me being a scientist today and had those people not shown up it wouldn't have happened right yeah. so that's exactly what i do now so i go I, I i travel around the world doing this actually right and i'm i uh work with other people of similar mind right and so what people don't know is that there's this giant army that i like to consider earth's mightiest superheroes that are dedicated to uh, just bringing people out of poverty and improving lives through education and science education. And, you know, it also transitions into service. So my next, so I can announce here today, 
Yeah. I, I'm about to. Exclusive. Exclusive. How did LeBron break it? What was his words? Take, I'm taking my talents to South Beach or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. Well, I'm about to take my talents to D.C. I'm about to ah. join NASA headquarters. So Amazing. this announcement here, yeah, next month I'll be there. Nice. Yeah. Good yeah. for you. But that's, again, thank you, service to, Wait, to silent, America. Wait, silent disco. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm very service-oriented. So right. Also, a lot of it is national service. So I've worked a lot with NASA, National Science Foundation, DARPA, U.S. State Department. Well, it's interesting. So you, you, don't, you don't typically hear the word service and science together. I mean, you know, not as you know, glued tightly together as you just did. Um, how did that piece come? Because you mentioned, like, the people that came to you as a youth and were like, hey, why don't you get involved? Like, what does that look like? What does that look like? And how does it translate into where you are now? You know, it's really interesting because the community that I'm from, so I was just talking to, to the about this to an old high school classmate. He's old, I'm not. But what... <laughs> Well, we, we we sort of got this like idea of service down there in Mississippi. So even when I was in college, I was a part of fraternity. We were always doing service stuff. We'd work with a school called Pineywood School. Work with the it was an all male school at least at the time. Right. Um, but check this out though, right? So most scientists I think are professors, and as a professor, you're supposedly judged on three things: research, teaching, and service. But the universities treat it like research is the only thing that matters, right? right? So you could be a great at teaching, you could be great at service, but if you're not bringing in the money, putting out the papers, graduating the PhDs, see ya. You're, yeah. not, you're not getting tenure, right? Um, but you know, for me, service is, is a part. So it, it's even worse if you are doing a lot of service. A lot of your colleagues feel like you know, sort of like if you're Shaquille O'Neal and you start making movies, they feel like you're not being serious about basketball, right? Right, right, right. So if I'm out there trying to inspire kids and doing in writing books and all this, they feel like, oh, you're not a serious scientist, researcher. You need to be in the lab, right? And so the way I lived most of my career was to actually spend the 12, 16 hours a day in the lab and still go and do that stuff, wow. right? And, you know, it took a toll. And so now that I'm almost 21, you know, I got to slow down. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can see that. So, uh. <laughs> I got to say, though, like yeah. you, you mentioned that people were showing up when, when you were growing up, people were showing up yeah. for you, and they're, they're the ones that introduced science to you. But also because you were really curious, right? Have well, you always yeah. been very curious about the world? Yeah, I've really, I've really been interested in the topic, right? That's a, that's a, that's a key element of, of it. And so uh, the way that happened was kind of weird, too. Um, I was already interested in science before anybody introduced me to science. But what they introduced me to is how humans, the, the processes that are involved, right? How do you get into college? How What, what is rigorous scientific research like? Um, so... Uh, you know, what happened with me is that I moved every year. My, my mom and dad divorced shortly after I was born, and we moved every year. And it was always like the hood, like serious, hardcore, Houston Third Ward, New Orleans Ninth Ward, comp, not Compton. Uh, what's the claim? Claiming hoods you didn't, you didn't know? No, no, it wasn't Compton. <laughs> it was, uh, was, it, was it Compton? I forget. What South it? Central? No, Watts. Watts. It was Watts. Yeah, yes. a little young, young kid in Watts. And so, uh, you know, when you're the new kid in a bad neighborhood, you know, you got to fight somebody. And, you know, and it's just kind of like, you know, I was, sometimes I felt like I was running the gauntlet. So anyway, I'd, I'd read a lot. And I read the set of world book encyclopedias, the entire thing. And that's where I discovered Albert Einstein and physics. So right? reading and science was your escape. Reading and science was my escape. Exactly. Yeah. What was it? And I, f I find this, you know, with, with a lot of individuals, like what was it about it that resonated with you? I mean, I've talked to hackers. I've talked to government officials. And yeah. it's usually like something like in your bones is like, oh, that's my thing. Yeah, that's my thing, man. I was always really interested in the stuff that's weird. Right. So I don't know if you remember, there was, there was time life books used to have like ghosts, you know, and all these <laughs> mystery things. Right. And so this is a true story. I, I found out that if you were under 18, you can't be legally held to a contract 
So I'd order these books from TV. Okay, right? <laughs> I didn't have. <laughs> uh, and you were smart. So this uh, is, this well, is, you know. I mean, but, you know, I was born with this curiosity. So I think when I, when I think about, like, the two, like, the two things that were deep in me were survival instinct and curiosity, right? And just interest in the natural world and weird stuff. Were, were you considered a weird kid? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I've been considered a weird adult a lot. But the weird thing is... <laughs> Can you, know, you fight, though? Uh, I could. Oh, man. That was the other I thing. Mean, currently, I mean, well, currently. Because I want to take you out. No, just... Hey, well, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, you know, it's... it's uh, uh, I'm not as fast as I used to be, <laughs> and I don't heal as quick. Right. <laughs> but you probably know the scientific places to, yeah. to, to, to punch Hey, up. I'll tell you a funny story, man. So when I was uh, living in Mississippi, we had this pond. We used to come to these, like, crazy little rituals for no good reason, right? And so one of them was is that to be a member of the pond swimming group, you had to have a mud fight with somebody. Right now, the guy that I had to fight was the point guard on our basketball team. He was a couple years older than me. This guy, uh, his last name was Abney. I forget his first name, but he was an awesome athlete. So I thought this guy was just going to destroy me. And the exact opposite happened. Right. And so fear has been a great motivator in my life. So through a lot of those youth fights, like I don't even know what happened. Right. You're just like, ah, right? you're just going blacked out. Yeah. And then you, then you come through and they're like, man, you killed him. Really? I did. You know what I'm <laughs> Not literally killed him. But. Yes. Yeah. We don't want to record that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I find that there's this really into, you mentioned research and you kind of like the pillars of science, education and, you and know, service. The, the industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and just one of the thoughts I was having was, there's a lot of research that happens in science and it happens over years and years and years. And then there's very slow implementation. And yeah. I could be, I could be absolutely wrong, but yeah. I think the public perception might be that, yeah. you know, is the, you know, and I think some of your work helps to bridge that gap, makes things more practical, but the actual implementation of like, Hey, we found this thing. Now let's go ahead and use it. And then, right. and yeah. how do you, or does that come across your day to day? And like, how do you have to navigate that? Yeah. That, it, that it, it's two different, you know, it, it's sometimes it happens really quickly. Like, let me give you one example. You remember when you went from these giant discs to suddenly these little thumb drives, like overnight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was because of this new uh, phenomenon in physics was discovered that led to a Nobel Prize. This this concept known as giant magneto resistance, right? And so that happened really fast, right? Then you look at some other things, right? Like for example, superconductors. Superconductors, people have been hearing about that forever and ever and ever, but yet we don't have a world. It's still copper wires and fiber optics. Mm-hmm. Another one that happened quick was fiber optics, right? Right. So it all depends on the mode in which you're working and what you're working on. So sometimes physics and engineering uh, coincide. So if you think about it this way, physics is what's responsible for discovering new phenomena, and engineering is is how we take advantage of it. Let's let's now that we know this, let's make something, right? Now, where does your specific area of expertise come in, right? Where it's astrophysics is one of yours. Yeah, areas. exactly. <laughs> one, hey, one, of, one of a dozen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> your tool, but your scientific tool belt. That's but like, like you, you know, in that instance, because I, I can almost understand the technology science, right? Yeah, like, okay, yeah. yeah, floppy disk to CD to right, thumb drive. Right, right. But you know, meteorites and you know, cyber dust yeah, to yeah. like me as as Joe on the street, like is, yeah, exactly. You know, You're absolutely right. So so. When you try to justify science by saying, okay, this particular scientific uh, study will lead to this exact outcome, right? So one of the things I just did, one of the, I just hosted an event in Vegas for DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Programs Agency, right? And what they funded, they're the people that funded the development, for example, of the self-driving car, which is something that you can see, you know, what the outcome True. is going to be. One right. of the things they, what we were doing is... Uh, 
automated software that will find vulnerabilities in software so you're not getting hacked all the time, right? Um, and so the thing about a DARPA-funded thing is that it may not or may or may not work. If I am applying for my normal grant research, my normal research grants through the National Science Foundation or NASA or the Department of Energy or whoever it is, it's judged based on technical feasibility. Will this work or will this not work? Right. And so, um, you know, it, it this all depends on how you phrase it. So let me give you an example. When people were studying motion at the microscopic scale, scale quantum mechanics. Right. Right. What did that lead to? Your smartphone. Mm. But in the 1920s, they weren't thinking of smartphone. But people were like, who cares how the electron moves? <laughs> right. What does that have to do with my daily life, right? And the, and the answer is, is that you just never know. But if you do fundamental research into how the universe behaves fundamentally, something amazing is going to come out of it, right? So you just have to do it. The nations that do it, those are the ones that, that you know, for example, look at all the, um, how America dominates the web, right? So think yeah. about Google. Was, why was it made here? Why wasn't it made in France, right? Or, or or England? Why was Facebook made in the U.S. and not in England, right? They're English speaking too, you know. Um, but for some reason, that innovation culture that we have, you know, brings forth these things. And 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 I think that starts with investment in basic fundamental research. That's great. And, 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 I mean, that's a good transition too. I mean, I, I think with your travels around the world, having spoken around the world, what other things do you see that people are sort of either obsessed with the same way you were as a kid or just even their innovation economy, you know, when it comes yeah. to the sciences and, you know, practical applications. Well, you know what, man, what really gets me is I travel around the world. I, I'm, I'm big on social justice, right? Because I, cause, cause let me tell you what happened to me. So I, I grew up, you know, in these communities that, that I talk to you about. Then I show up for graduate school at Stanford University and I start talking to these other kids about their lives. And I'm like, holy cow. It didn't matter how smart I was. I was blown out of the water before this race even began. Like four of the guys in my research group, their dads were PhD physicists, right? My dad dropped out of school when he was nine years old. How could I compete with that? Those guys cheated, right? <laughs> they, they cheated, right? Yeah. yeah. But so what I notice when I go around the world is how much we're not taking advantage of human talent. So when I was a kid, you know, had people not reached out, I would not have even known that physicists as a career option existed, mm -hmm. right? When I went to, uh, when I was in high school, I thought you went to college to be one of four things, doctor, lawyer, teacher, or an engineer. And I had no idea what an engineer was, right? So uh, what I do, you know, a part of what I've been doing is going around the world and just letting people know, yo, this exists, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it pays very well and you have a great life and you can do it. And it right? can be cool. And it can be it cool. cool. Yeah. Well, well, when they see me doing it, of course, it's cool, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that oh, oh. case closed, right? But seriously, and this has created a small army. And, I, you know, I'm not alone in this. There's other people that are doing it. But, you know, I have my, everybody has their niche, what they're good at, you know. And, uh, you know, I just make things really um approachable for people and mm -hmm. cool, right? Mm -hmm. they, they 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 no longer feel so like it's this big giant monster that they can't tackle. It's for those other people, but not us, right. you know? Yeah. Right. So as a teacher, what have you learned the most from your students? Yeah, uh, small correction, as a professor. As a professor. Uh, <laughs> as a professor. I'm glad I didn't ask that question. <laughs> There's a difference. There's a difference. Right? Hey, I love teachers, As a tutor. Though. I love teachers. As a tutor. How uh, did, how did uh, they... <laughs> hey, I, you can't hire me to tutor you.
Hey, if you're ready, Chris. Well, we can get to this later, but my uh, daughter just uh, just started uh, yesterday at LA's first all-girls public STEM school. Oh, oh nice. wow. So you can come over anytime and, yeah, and, yeah. and beat her up in some science and math. All right. Daddy's going to write the check. Is that what I'm right, well, How about an exchange? You know, you get to be on the show. and you then get to be on the show. <laughs> Is that how this works? Exactly. Every time I show up on the show, I got to give services. Yeah. I got to provide. Right. You, didn't, you didn't read the release form, you son. Oh. Uh, did I sign? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Peely. What, I'm sorry. So as, as a professor. So what have I learned from my yes. students? Well, well, you know, you want the real answer? Uh, I don't know if I should say this, but let me, you know, as a, as a professor, um, sometimes you act as a counselor, mm. right? And so I'm, I'm, you know, I've typically had an open door policy and I'm a personable guy and, you know, and, I, and so, man, the, pe- the the problems that exist in the world and in people's lives and in families, you know, I've, I've, I've heard, so much of that and dealt with so much of that that you know it, it really again opened my eyes to uh, a phenomena that you know was I was blind to beforehand you know um and it's what you deal with right it's kind of like people, people are people and uh, I don't think you can well be it was the... worse than I thought sometimes <laughs> people are people are uh, really people there's a lot going on behind closed doors that everybody's acting like everything's all good right. but really you know a lot of people everybody has their struggles and there's a lot going on that we yeah. don't get to see and if you're in a counseling position right they come to you and you get to uh you know That's whatever a great you can point. do because you know? i think you know especially in very intellectual practices you know you have iq and then you have eq right, right? and then you know i think if you if you're a ha- hakim olushei student right yeah. like you're you're probably high functioning intellectually mm-hmm. um and you probably haven't been able to entertain or really open up on the emotional side yeah. and i mean do you find that in the science community as a whole like the story because you're a very personable person you know yeah, individual yeah. and and like there's a michelle thaller there's yeah, a yeah. dan goods there's individuals like that but who those can, are like breaking the stereotype right of exactly yeah, yeah 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 Hey, by the way, I'm going to be working side by side with Michelle at NASA. What do you uh, think? She's alumni of the show. No way. I, yep. I, I really we love so, her. We so love Michelle. I can't wait yeah. to see her in person. I'll tell you a, a funny story. So I'm a, I'm a huge nerd. So I'm a fan of other people that do science stuff. And one guy I was a fan of was uh, Michio Kaku, mm-hmm. right? Because I read his book Hyperspace when I was in grad when I was a grad student. Nice, totally changed my life. I had never heard of the higher uh, dimensional physics, that sort of stuff, right? It just to- totally blew my mind and you know, set me on another path of mercenary action. Um, (laughs) So anyway, I joined Discovery and Science Channel, Science Advisory Board in 2008. And it was a small number of scientists on the board, like five or seven, somewhere around there. And we had a big meeting uh, when it started at Discovery headquarters. And sitting on the table there were your little nameplates to tell you where you're going to sit. And who am I sitting right next to? Michio Kaku, right? So I'm like, oh, my God. So when we sit down, I reach over before we start. I lean over and I say, Professor Kaku, I just want you to know, you know, your book, Hyperspace, it changed my life. And he responded, yeah, whatever, dude, shut up. So <laughs> not, not, not literally. Right, 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 right. But, you know, that's the thing about physicists. They, you know, we have this arrogance sometimes. I don't, but physicists, you know. You're <laughs> yeah, you taught, don't. No, you're fine. You're taught by older physicists, you know, you, you should be arrogant. Um, so I was going somewhere with that. I was going to tell you. <laughs> What was your original question? I think it was Pe- uh, wait. Peeler's question. No, no, no it was Pe- your was question. Your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm just on this emotional journey with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, IQ and EQ. EQ exactly. Look, I, subconsciously, EQ. I brought that back. I was like, yeah, I'm going on an emotional journey. Connecting that to that story, IQ and EQ. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So anyway, the the 
the thing about being a physicist, you know, every community is different. So when you say scientists, there's different communities of scientists. And just like, you know, if I'm hanging out with the community of people in Brevard County, Florida or Jasper County, Mississippi or, you know, Santa Clara County, California, they're going to be very different based on, you know, the community culture. Sure. And so in physics, you know, who becomes physicists? <laughs> right. So there is sort of a stereotype of the science nerd that you see in the Big Bang Theory, for example. Right. right? right. That is so accurate. If you want, really? yeah. If you want to characterize Caltech physicists, so, that is so accurate. I mean, oh, that, I'm wow. like, oh my god, I know guys ex exactly like each of these changing? people. Huh? You don't think it's changing? Well, it is changing somewhat, but here's what happens. When you're from a different type of community and you join this other community, like, for example, you're, you know, Peely from London. Puerto Rico. London and Puerto Rico. So, oh, you're from London? Puerto Rico. No, Puerto Rico. <laughs> I know, Alaska somewhere. Did you hear my accent? I'm just going to make something accent. up. Yeah. Exactly. But, but if you go to Alabama, probably you'll, be ha you'll have a Southern accent before long, right? If you <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And so people conform to whatever culture you're putting in. And, and, and you know what? One of the magical moments for me was, you know, coming from where I came from to, to going into Stanford University, right? You know, I totally felt like I had to be somebody different than who I was, right? I had to talk a different way. Well, I, actually, I had to talk so people could understand me. So that did, that was... Yeah, yeah. step one. Step one, exactly, right? Because <laughs> nobody understand. could understand me when I showed up, right? For some reason, if you don't add consonants and you speak really fast, people don't understand you. Um, but what ended up what ended up happening is when I just said, forget it, you know, I'm just going to be me, right? That's when things worked a lot better for me. But I still see that. Like, take take this phenomenon, for example. I love Ted, right? Mm -hmm. But have you ever noticed when you see Ted talks that the people kind of all behave and speak in a it's very the same way? They, got the, they all yeah. have the same speaker trainer. <laughs> exactly. And there is no speaker trainer, right? It's just that people have <laughs> right. in mind this story, right? And, and, and you this fall in line. this is what it should look like. This yeah, this is what should... it should look like. Exactly. It's just like authority, right? Like, the, the voice of authority has a certain look and sound and, you know. Yeah. And it's just like that. It's just like me, right? Yeah, that's right. But it's not. Well, so, I think yeah. you just touched on something really interesting, right? It's You said when you decided to be you, you know, kind of talk about that transition of yeah. like, what were you trying to be? And then when were you like, ah, fuck it. Here, like, exactly. Here. That, 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 yeah. I said forget it, but that's what I really thought. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and how did you like overcome that internal battle that you were going yeah, through? Yeah, yeah. Well, so so first off, when I showed up there, I was I was woefully undereducated in comparison to everyone else, right? So my uh, small uh, college in Mississippi, it was, a, it was an all-black college, and um, the, the problem is, in comparison, is expectation level. So, so our professor, you know, this guy was amazing. He produced all these physicists from this small little black college in Mississippi. He was a Harvard graduate. Uh, yeah, he was a Harvard. He got his PhD at Harvard. No, Caltech. He got his PhD at Caltech. And um, the thing, though, is that you had these kids coming in from a variation of of educational backgrounds. And my K through 12 educational background in, 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 in mathematics and science, it wasn't strong at all. The strength came from my own personal studies. And so the, the, the curriculum did not expect a lot of the students. 
right? And so it was very low level. So that didn't prepare you. That didn't prepare me for Stanford University. So as an example, when you when you have your, your, your mathematics books, like your calculus books, your physics books, at the end of each chapter, there are problems. And some of these problems have a little mark to indicate that they're extra difficult, okay. right? When I was at Tougaloo, we were never assigned those problems to do. When I got to Stanford, we were only assigned those problems right, to do, right. right? So it was a big difference in expectation level. And then the other thing was that, you know, I was kind of a popular guy in high school, in college, you know, and I show up at Stanford, I'm pretty much invisible, right? Like my, you know, my style was all wrong. You know, I just, yeah, I sounded all wrong. People were like, what's up with this freak, right? Um, so yeah, so inside, you know, so inside I was, the, the, the bigger battle was first off that educational uh, gap that I had to make up. And then there was the, the sort of like uh, social capital that you walk in with. So they give you a sheet with all your first year physics uh, students. So there were 10 in physics, 10 in applied physics. You look, you read down the list, right? And they give you their, their school they're from. It's like Harvard, Princeton, Yale, right. Cambridge, Oxford, Landau Institute, Tougaloo College, right? And so, you know. <laughs> it's like paying right back up to that. What, Tougaloo? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So everybody's interested. Like, yeah, so. Uh, Wait. Uh, uh, how did you say that? But then also become, how did you get in? Is, is really, yeah. yeah I, don't th- I think you, somehow something went wrong. How did you end up here? So there's all this, uh, you know, doubt that's placed on you. And so when I look at. For example, and I use this when I counsel students, right? So if you go into an institution, and so in certain fields, you know, like for example, how many prominent scientists do you know that have a deep Southern accent? Um, none, none, right? Because to have a Southern no. accent is to be dumb, right? That's how people think. That's, that's I, a, to have any accent, because I'm Puerto Rican, so I have a Latino accent, and I, I really do think that some people think I'm dumber than I actually am because of my accent. Well, you know what? If we weren't on air, I would just I could go on and on with that, but. <laughs> I made all kind of jokes, but I'm not. Uh, yeah, this is like one of those walked into a bar kind of right. jokes. It's like a Puerto Rican. What, what is the Olusheyi, by the way? Is that it's a, Yoruba? You, oh, what is that? Yeah, it's a, it's a Nigerian people. <laughs> there we it's go. Nigerian right. people. They're primarily, primarily Nigerian. Two yeah. layers deep. That's there guy. we go. <laughs> so, what were we talking about? No, it's just still, still that transition. Battles. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, no, it was it was it was really severe, and and you know, people were mean to me. As a matter of fact. You know, uh, I can tell you stories about that as well. And so what happened is within my first year, I completely went into isolation. Like I, I, I completely worked by myself. And when you start the upper division uh, physics classes. So I did two years of undergrad classes when I started at Stanford. And so the upper division junior senior level classes are even tougher than graduate classes. And they tell you on the first day of class in most of those classes, hey, you know, you have to work with other people. Otherwise, you're going to fail. Right. But but I was so socially ostracized and people have been so mean to me that I actually just completely went in isolation and worked by myself. And it took another entire year before this guy reached out to me. Um, he now works for NASA Ames, this guy named Paul Estrada, right, to to um, to say, hey, you know, work with us. You know, at first I thought, I was like, who's this weird dude keep following me around everywhere? And then, uh, <laughs> and then I worked, you know, worked with Paul and everything worked out really well. And then I took the grad courses and the same thing happened. So I, I went in there getting the worst grades ever and then evolved to the grad classes where I'm, you know, getting all A's, right? Wow. But, it, but you had to, you know, I had to write, learn the new expectation level, a new language, a new culture, you know, so there was so much more going on than just the 
academics of it. And I think, you know, I think in any career that you hit that transition at some point, you go from like being a novice and then you hit this transition opportunity. I mean, even from a hosting standpoint and acting oh, yeah. like you go like, oh, now like this is kind of the big leagues now, right? Like yeah. Emmys and, and all that stuff. And there's a different kind of pressure that some in a lot of cases that pressure breaks people. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was it about you that? kept you going oh defiance and uh <laughs> don't get me wrong i did quit twice right but the, the way i quit made me come back so for example i dropped out at tougaloo college so this is one of my famous stories right i dropped out at tougaloo college and be, when you drop out you had to go talk to uh a, a school official right so it's me my roommate and this other guy we all went and dropped out those guys were within one year of graduating right so they were told listen you know you really should stay and then she tells me she said listen i think you're doing the right thing college is not for you but I'm not sure. So go talk to the chaplain. And then he he and I will talk after you talk to him. Then I'll let you know. Why did you want to drop out? Because I wasn't smart enough. I, I In my mind. So, you know, I, I it was a struggle for me because literally I graduated high school, not really even knowing algebra. Right. And I went to the Navy first. And that's where I learned algebra. I was in this amazing program called Boost. Right. That, that took people from parts of the country where the education isn't so good right. and gives you a year of intense academic training. Literally, you go from arithmetic through calculus in one year. Right. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, and so there were two levels of classes. <laughs> wow. I was in the lower level. And the, the thing that's really funny about that is that I was reunited. I was in I've been at MIT on a sabbatical for the last year and a half. And it turns out that my old squad leader lived nearby. Right. And so I was in the dumb kids math class and he was in a smart kids math class. And we were laughing, you know, at the fact that, you know, now I'm this scientist and, you know, <laughs> you don't change. What a great journey. Though. What a great journey. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I dropped out and uh, I got a job as a janitor working at the nearby hotel. And um, what ends up happening is the bellhop got fired and, you know, I'd make more money as a bellhop than as a janitor. So I applied to the job and I didn't get it. I wasn't bellhop material. Right. And so I thought to myself, I can't move up from janitor to bellhop. I'm going back to college, right? Okay. And I went back. And then, you know, I get to Stanford, and the same thing happens. In my second quarter there, I got the lowest score on every midterm in every class, mm-hmm. right? And this is this was the, the semester where I first isolated myself, right? And that was it. And I'm like, I'm dropping out. And I went to my advisor's office to tell him. And he wasn't there. So I just sat on the floor in front of his door. And next door to him was another professor named Doug Osheroff, who ended up a little bit later winning the Nobel Prize in physics. And so Doug walks back and forth and out of his office a couple times, and he sees me there. And finally he says, what's wrong? And I said, I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm dropping out. I'm not smart enough. And he's like, really? (laughs) I can't be a bellhop. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Failing at bellhop, not failing at physicist, right? And he says, he says, oh, really? Come into my office. What, 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 uh, you know, what, what makes you think that? And I was like, well, I just took my midterms. I got the lowest score and everything. It's like, what class are you taking? I remember I was taking, um, I think I was taking uh, quantum mechanics, partial differential equations, and linear algebra, right? The second level of linear algebra. And he, he says, tell me the topic. What are you doing in quantum? I tell him. He goes, okay, solve this problem. And he has a big blackboard in his office. And I solve it. And he goes, huh, don't look so stupid to me, right? And he does this for problem after problem. And I just solve them all. And he's like, oh, just stick around and let's see how it works out for you, right? And were, it worked were, out. That's were great. Were you applying yourself? Oh, was I ever. Like, I, like people used to tell me, like, you know, it, it, it was – so there was the physics library, and I would literally be working all overnight, every night in the physics library. People would come to the physics library, and they'd be like, Hakeem, stop working so hard, right? right? It was an ongoing joke. Like, I just, but the thing about it, that that now that I, you know, once you get it, right, and you're looking at it from that side, oh, it becomes super easy, 
So what right? was that point for you? Well, here's the, that's an amazing thing because people told me about that point and it happened to me just as people said. So here's what happens. You, I walk into graduate school and you, you attend talks, scientific talks, and I never understood anything ever. Right. And so, you know, you fall asleep and all this sort of thing. And then years later, I'm sitting in a colloquium, still a graduate student. And I'm like, oh, my God, I understand everything. It just no it matter what it is, I get it. You know, no matter what, I, I could have never seen it ever in my life. I now have the tools. And so that gets back to how we teach thought and logic and reasoning in our culture and in our school system. And basically, we don't. So it's kind of hit and miss. Mm. Right. Um, like for example, let me give you a common example. So, you know, when you're, when you're from communities where I'm from, you know, you're always being challenged, right? It's, it's, it, and people use their spirituality as a mean, as a basis for challenging science, right? And they'll say something like this. Oh, you know, people say science knows whatever, whatever, but I had a friend, he was given 12 seconds to live and a man lived another 48 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> science doesn't know anything, right? And see, we're not taught, like if, if I were to ask you about the branches of science, right? So there are what are known as the formal sciences, mathematics, logic, computation. They're exact, right? If I write down the equation of a circle, that's a perfect circle. You can never create one in real life, but it's exact, right? Then you have the physical sciences, and at the top is physics. Then you have chemistry, and then you go down into the life sciences and the social sciences. And what people don't get and understand is how science is based on prediction, right? So let me give you an example of that. Suppose, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm Isaac Newton and I write down, oh, force equals mass times acceleration. That predicts the path of a baseball if I were to throw it, right? So I could write, I could take that equation and I can say, oh, this predicts that if I throw a ball past the moon, it will curve in that way. Then I can throw a ball past the moon and either it does or it doesn't. And if it does, holy cow. That was right. It worked. <laughs> well, right. You're, you're right to the extent that it has been tested. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, you can build up millions of years of tests and then you, you're you pretty convinced that it's that it's correct. Right. And so when you make a prediction with science, then there is a number attached with it. Or if you make a measurement called the uncertainty. Right. And so for a prediction in science, if you take quantum electrodynamics, you make a prediction and then you make a measurement. They agree to 15 decimal places. That's amazing. So suppose yeah. I look at you and I say, oh, you weigh 202.4 pounds. Wow. That would be amazing if I could do that. <laughs> Imagine right. if I could take that to 15 decimal sure. places. Right? That's, that's ultra amazing. But now, let's say, for example, that's in the physical sciences, where it's way up there at the top of the formal sciences. Right? Now, let's say, for example, I make a prediction with the life sciences. I predict how long you're going to live. What's the uncertainty on that? The answer is it's plus or minus a lifetime. Mm. Right? If I, if I tell yeah. you you have two months to live, you can die in another second or you could live to be 120 because there's so much uncertainty. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the I don't know what the point of that was. <laughs> no, no, was great. I love how you get lost really in your own mind. This is, like, uh, this is I want to wait to see him like 40 years. I'm going to just go like, just check in on you. And be like, yep, he's lost in his mind again. <laughs> Absent-minded professor. Um, but even, yeah. even I, I think that's also a, a good focal point, right? Because I think you have this power of presentation. Um, one of my favorite moments I watched recently was you talking about infinity uh, yeah. uh, over the course of three minutes inside a prison. Oh my uh, God! Yeah, that and, was so awesome. And it was. You think, uh, yes, I, not the talk. I mean, the experience. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, the no, talk. I, I, I love myself too. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but you you do a great job of mixing. Uh, and I wrote this in my notes, but you do a great job of mixing, huh? 
with, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about. Like it's, <laughs> it's it, you know, and it's, I think, but like I feel, relatable. I feel smarter being around you. And I think, you yeah. know, I think that happens because you use like really heavy scientific terms, but then it, immediately I'm able to understand what they, what they are. What have you, I mean, what's your technique to presenting science to laymen, right? And I think this happens yeah. also just right. for my audience, right? I think about the idea of, like, I have a great business idea, and it's all yeah. in my head, and then I have to spew it out, and I'm using right. jargon, and it, it, it doesn't always translate. Well, you know, I'm from my community, you know, and people don't talk like scientists talk in my community, and I don't feel the need to talk like a scientist, right? So, like I said, a long time ago, I decided I'm just going to talk like me. So, I'm a dude who grew up mostly in Mississippi. And I'm going to, when I go home, I talk to my, you know, of course, you know how it is when you're talking to your homies, your accent changes, right? The words For you sure. use changes, yeah. the pace of speaking changes. By the way, but, I said something, I said one thing to her in Spanish yesterday and then she was like, blah, blah, blah. I was like oh, no, 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 nope, wrong guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't have a technique. I just talk. And so I, I noticed, it, so all of this, like being good at, at explaining science and all that, that all happened by accident, right? So um, it started again when I was in grad school. I was teaching a um, a science class as a, as a as a graduate student, astronomy at night. And so there were four nights, and there were four different people that would run the observatory on each night, right? And I started noticing that you know the other nights would have like four or five students, and my night would have like twenty, right? Mm-hmm. And which was a lot for that small observatory. And so I was wondering what's going on. And people said, "Hey, well, the the rumor had gotten out that if you want to get an A." in your science class, because if you're not a science major, you still have to take a science or two, then take Hakeem's astronomy class and you'll get an A, right? And so people thought that I was giving people A's, but here was the thing, I didn't grade anything, right? I didn't grade anything. I just told them, you know, okay, let's just run the observatory. Let me help you with your analysis. I didn't give answers. The way I help a person when I'm tutoring them or educating them is I ask them questions. Right. To help them guide themselves to the answer. So they were just doing better. Right. And then I started uh, at the end of grad school. My 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 um, funding had run out. Right. And so I started teaching at a nearby junior college. Right. And after my, you know, a couple of quarters, students started coming back to me and telling me exactly what you said. And and so. Uh, I, I, I have encapsulated this in a single phrase. People tell me, you know, I thought I was dumb until I met you. Wow. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's the best compliment anyone can give you. <laughs> or it's an insult if you think about it. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. Well, no, no, but it's all contextual. You have to look at the context. No, but you're absolutely right. I, I phrase it that way so that it would be funny, right? Yeah. But but it's not, it's, I mean, and I'm talking about people. So when you teach at a junior college, you get people right out of high school. You get professionals. You get people that are older, that are uh, changing professions. And you get people that are retired and they're trying to, uh, you know, just enlighten themselves and learn more. And these people, these older people were coming to me. It's like, oh, you know, I never thought of myself this way. Now I'm going to school full time. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. And, I, and, and so having an impact in people's lives was so gave me even more fulfillment than discovering things. Like I had already discovered stuff. And the first time I, you know, you discover things, you're like, oh my God, I'm the only human who's figured this out. Wow. You know? And and it's really cool, right? But then a moment after there's this terror, right? It's like, oh my God, what do I have to do next? Yeah. You know, I gotta, oh no, you know, um, now there's more pressure, right? But when you impact people's lives, there's like no pressure. It's all happiness, right? It's all goodness. Well, let's, let's fast forward a little bit, or maybe just the, the steps from that point of like discovering who you are as a teacher, as a scientist, um, and eventually, you know, 
eight television programs you've been on. <laughs> That's all? He's a voice actor. <laughs> a voice actor. Yeah. You're the uh, SpongeBob, right? No. No, no. Uh, <laughs> Exotrex coming soon to a school near you. Seriously. Is that the it's a game I just developed school? with Digit Games called Exotrex. And so it, it, there's oh. a lot of games that help students to learn mathematics, but not a lot that help them to learn science, right? So we've developed Exo Digit Games and I, we, our values are I, I congruent. Need, I need those games in my life. You need it. Exotrex. <laughs> Look it up. E-X-O-T-R-E-X. -E we're, we're doing a big release thing this coming month. Yeah, so, I, ju yeah. I just wrote it up. Right. Um, but no, like... But I voice it. I love it. I All love right. it. And I'm, I'm, I'm a, now, I'm, now I'm a fan. All right. Good. Um, <laughs> is there a discount code? No. <laughs> <laughs> for you, there is. And for you, too. No. <laughs> no, but like that transition of like kind of becoming an entertainment personality yeah. on top of it. You know, what was the first few steps in that direction? Like, what okay, was the first phone listen, call? Listen, man. See, that's the other thing is that, you know, I'm still me. I'm still the same guy. So let me tell you where entertainment started with me. Popping and locking. Right? So... <laughs> <laughs> this is now. Now it's a good. Now it's a good interview. Hey, seriously, man. I used, to, I used to break dance, right? And then I, uh, I was in my high school band. So you know, for you know, the United States is a huge, diverse country. But in the South, we I have this the phenomenon. South bands are a little different. Yeah, we like, have this phenomenon of the all-black marching band. Mm -hmm. So if you've seen Drumline, you get a hint of it. But I was a tuba player, and so if you know, drum and bass dominate, right? And so, man, I'm talking about let's rock it out. Let's take it to the next level. So our our you know we got a uh, a nickname people even when i go back to mississippi people still talk about about this right so then i go to college and i'm a college dj right scratching and mixing right and i'm in my fraternity you know stepping and doing all this kind of performance and i was always like the funny guy right through high school and everywhere right i, I love to make people laugh right so when I so what what happened is my technical expertise led to my on cameraness. So when I joined the scientific advisory board, like I told you, the day I met right. Nishio Kaku, after that we had lunch, and at lunch the head of the channel at the time was a woman named Debbie Myers. And typically I'm a sh I'm really a shy guy, believe it or not, right? So in crowds I'm really shy. I keep to myself. Really? Yeah, I talk to like one person, but for the most part, like I'm I'm good in front of a crowd. I'm good talking to one or two people, but if it's a a room of people, you know, I typically kind of like you know. Keeps to myself. So anyway, she 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 wants to 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 make me feel comfortable. So she comes over to me with her little staff, a group of people, and she says, "Hey, Hakeem, tell me about your research." And I tell her, and immediately she turns to her staff and she goes, "You see, that's what we need on the air, Hakeem. I have to put you on TV." Uh -huh. And she doesn't. <laughs> and you get all excited and then she was she, she like mom i'm gonna be on tv i know exactly yeah <laughs> no she listen i understand her position because they had michio who was doing all of physics they had brian cox who was doing all of astronomy where does hakeem fit and then if you look at how i present myself I, i'm not the, the stereotype of this is what it looks and sounds like but anyways right? that's like the best intro to the entertainment world because you're gonna get rejected and, and oh, people right? are gonna tell say me about like, it. all the time they're gonna be like oh this is happening and then nothing happens oh tell right? me about well, it yeah, yeah. oh but listen, when I first got into the, oh, I forgot, at the end of grad school, I started doing the voice acting thing. And that happened because my girlfriend at the time gave me this little newspaper clipping. Because this is when, like, I'm almost 30 when I discovered that people think my voice sounds good, right? So it never sounded good to me. If I ever heard it recorded, I thought it was horrible, right? <laughs> Which you probably experienced yeah. the same thing, oh, yeah. right? I yeah, my yeah. Voice, yes. yeah. So uh, I, I get the voice acting gig. Uh, excuse me. I, I take the voice acting class, and I start getting auditions and gigs and this sort of thing, right? So performance had always been a part of it and um so what ended up happening is that it was the production companies that really broke me 
end. So uh, Debbie asked me to do this show for this one production company called Atlas Media. Um, and it was called Curiosities, Alien Invasion, Are We Ready? It was hosted by Michelle Rodriguez, right? So Michelle does the intro and then it go cut straight to me, right? And I make my like deep opening statement. And I literally had told everybody I'd ever met in my life, I'm going to be on TV, watch this, all right? And of course, I'm the opening guy. So it looks like, oh, ha, Hakeem is about to have his big TV debut. For the rest of the show, I might have shown up 30 seconds or something. I don't know, right? For <laughs> like a two-hour show. I know, right? So I was like, that You're was like, a big disappointment. Yes. And then it just cut to something. <laughs> but the interesting thing was that at the end of the interview, the producer goes, he goes, Hakeem, you're good at this, man. Why don't you do it more often? To which I responded, uh, you tell me. So a year later, he contacted me to do another show. I went and recorded it, and I didn't tell anybody about it because I didn't want the same, you know, you don't know if you're going to show up or not, you know. And so uh, the show comes out. I DVR it because it's weird for me to watch it, right, watch myself on TV. Three weeks later, I, I watched the show. It's a two-hour docudrama, and I'm like the main guy okay. in the show. Wow. Yeah, and then after that, like, everybody started calling me to do uh, you know, science shows, but but you know, you got to pick and choose. What, I was gonna say, yeah. and, that, and that becomes a time management, you know, mess, right? You you want to teach, you want to do your research, you yeah. want to be uh, traveling. Well, you, I, I I had already no, known how to navigate that because here's what what happens is you know that phrase if you if you want to get something done, ask somebody who's busy. Right. And yep. so, you know, my research group, I had to learn to be more of a research manager and empower at different levels, people to to, uh, you know, supervise people. And I had two amazing uh, grad students, uh, Bryce Orange and, and Dave Chesney, that were amazing. So at any one time, my research group would be 15 to 20 members. And, you know, without Dave and Bryce, you know, and then other responsible people under them that are running things, Pat Champy, you know. Um, and so what what then happened is I had also been a member of all these different committees, this international uh, science education stuff, international uh, research stuff, service in America and all this. So I, so I already knew how to do this balancing act of all this sure. stuff. And TV is easy because it's a one-off. You know, just show up that day. Right, and then boop, you're done. And then you're done and then you go, right? It's not like signing up for a committee. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. No one's ever asked me. I don't have a face for radio. C consider yourself lucky. <laughs> yeah. I resigned from all committees a little while ago. You're like, I'm done with the yeah. committee. I'm like, yeah, this is no not longer committing to yeah. committees. Exactly. Um, so switching gears uh, uh, another quick second before uh, we start to wind down. Um, you grew up in the Deep South, yeah. which is wrought with religion. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, where how do you look at the intersection of science and religion? Right. Yeah. Like does, yeah. does one negate or prove the other yeah. or how does yeah. that? What's... Well, you know, that's interesting because that always comes up, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's really interesting when uh, especially in certain parts of the world. I, I mean, whoo, I'm telling you, I, I would go give these talks and then um, I'll give you a few things. So people would say to me, sometimes kids would come up to me after and I try to be really sensitive uh, and, and a kid would say, well, you know, Professor, you said that science says this, but, you know, my holy book, whether it's typically it's the Bible or the Koran, right? Typically it's Muslims or Christians, uh, says this, right? And I say, well, let me correct you here, young scholar. Science doesn't say anything. Science listens, right? Science listens to the universe and say, universe, tell me what you are, right? And what we report is what we observe it to be, all right? And, and not only that, understand what that means. So, Here's an example. Suppose there's a problem with your car and you take it to an auto mechanic. 
you don't know if that auto mechanic is really good or really bad or whatever. That auto mechanic gives you, here's what's wrong with your car, right? You don't know whether or not you can trust it. Right. Suppose you took it to more auto mechanics. The more auto mechanics you take it to, then the more likely you're going to zero in on the right answer. Now, suppose you are 100% certain that the world's top auto mechanics are going to look at it in addition to everyone else, right? That's how science is, right? right? You do some sort of study and you put your life's blood into it for a couple of years, everybody is set on skeptical, right? And everybody is set on prove it to me. Right. So anytime you present your scientific results, it is a massive hate fest, right? And so when regular, you know, non-scientists see this process, they think that you guys are like angry at each other, right? I mean, it happened in my PhD uh, defense. There's one uh, guy, another Nobel Prize winner, Bob Laughlin. He was he was questioning me about something he didn't understand. And so to the, to the lay people in the audience, they thought that he was kind of attacking me, right? And so sometimes it gets heated. I kind of got a, lot, a little bit heated. And I answered him aggressively, right? Yeah. And, uh, Did you knock and, his papers off the table? No, you... no, no, not like that. <laughs> I answered him aggressively and definitively. Right. And so in the aftermath, and listen, he was only seeking to understand. There was right, no right. battle, right? And everybody's like, oh, you put him in this place. I was like, no, 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 I didn't. No, no, that's not what happened there. He's he's a brilliant guy. And uh, Science beef. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's no beef. No, no, I know, yeah, but, it's, yeah. it's, but there it becomes beefs. a perception. There are beefs, right? I mean, he, people are still humans. And, You're right. And, and so, you know, you're, you're, what you present is gets massively hated on. So now the question becomes, if you say, is there a conflict between religion and science? What you're really asking, is there a conflict between you know, these faith traditions and what we observe to be true about the universe, right? So science is a report on what we observe to be true, plain and simple. So there is no like, uh, you know, if, so if, for example, you say, like if you look at the people, the, the lay person who uh, wants to challenge uh, evolution is one of the common things, sure. right? Or, or for example, the Big Bang. Big like, Bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're close to my field. Like I heard, this is one of my... Uh, TEDx talks in Orlando. This literally happened. I'm, I'm at a, 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 um, a baggage claim in Johannesburg, South Africa. And this guy tells this other guy how his daughter told this guy, how could the, how could the earth be formed from an explosion? Don't explosions destroy things, right? And so what happens is that people don't really understand the science is, is the problem, right? And that's how these, so I think that these conflicts are all, you know, politicized and, and based on control and this sort of thing. And they don't really exist. Right. They don't really exist. Like, how can you how can you have a conflict between this microphone is on this table or not? Right. That's science. I observe the microphone is on the table. Now, how can how can anything conflict with what I observe to be true? Sure. Yeah, it just doesn't. So in my own personal space, I think of it this way. I think of how uh, uh, the founding fathers of America looked at it. Right. And they said, hey, listen, you know, your uh, religious faith beliefs are your own. So I think right now in science, there's these guys that go around trying to like shoot down people's faiths and beliefs. You know, I don't, I'm not cool with that. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that you're, you know, everybody's cool to do what they, what they want. But when it comes to science, right, it's not E equals MC square in America and E equals MC cubed in Saudi right, Arabia. Right. Right. It's E equals MC square everywhere. Right. And, and I think, yeah. I, you know, I think in general, like knowledge evolves. It just, it just it all the time. I mean, the, the science of yes, of your, is you know a little bit different than than what we now know about certain things, and yeah. that continues to change. And I think the same thing happened. Like as 
new discoveries come to the table, whether as an individual or as a giant organization, you know, that changes perspectives um, yeah. and all those things. Like, I've, it's, it's a slow, the trend is right, right. but it's but it's slow. And, and you know, that's a cool thing that gives me, uh, sometimes I, I feel really cynical and then sometimes I feel really hopeful, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and some of the trends, you know, are just, for example, one thing, one of the trends that give me hope. So there's a phrase I learned first from Rocky Cobb, but it's not his phrase. Uh, he's another physicist. But the phrase is, it's not what you don't know, is what you know that ain't so. Okay. Right? You know, that's what really messes you up, right? And that's right. what really prevents you from making uh, deep, insightful discoveries in physics. But for example, I just I just read a study. I, I haven't read follow-ups to it. And, you know, you, you have to vet everything, right? And and you have to, like, you know, be really critical and rigorous. to, to So you don't accept... You know, I read a study and this is what it is, right? You don't you don't just right. accept it like that. But sometimes if it holds up, you're like, oh, this is great. Okay, so one of them is the incarceration rate of African Americans. It's been declining for a long time. Did would you have thought that? Nope. No, no this is what this study says. I, don't, I would not have thought that either. Now, if you rephrase, if you retrain your mind in that new paradigm, right, how does that change your perspective and how, and how you see the world, you know, among other things? Or, for example, another thing that just came out, we'll see if it holds up, is perhaps there's evidence that there is now a fifth fundamental force, hmm. right? The, the, a more um Has it been robust, awakened? Huh? Well, it it, it, op- it operates on a microscopic level, just like Star Wars. I'm sorry, guys. Has the fourth been awakened? Of course. <laughs> Never mind. Chris is such a nerd. How are you dealing with this guy? <laughs> such a. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. It, sometimes the jokes don't even work. Just <laughs> continue. The, no, the fifth force. Yeah, but so so for example, we we think we've thought of the world. Uh, you know, another thing. For example, space. Right. Why do we think there is one space, right? We have this idea of parallel dimensions, but what about not parallel, but coexisting different spaces, right? I mean, you know, there's all these uh, things that are both in human society and in understanding the world itself that, you know, the stories that we have in our minds and, you know, they sort of dictate what comes next. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like people being intimidated by me. (laughs) (laughs) How does that happen? Um. You know what I used to hate, man? I used, to, no. I used to play basketball all the time. Like, all day, every day, dude. All the way up to, you know, forever, right? You know what I used to really hate? Is when some guy had to guard me, and he looked at me and just gave up. Like, before the ball bounced one time, <laughs> he just gives up. I'm like, dude! There's, look, there's an office that I work out of, and there's a basketball court there. Yeah. And I'm all I'm stuck in this, like, weird quagmire, because, of, like, if I, if I do play, and I'm great, then I prove a stereotype. And if I do play and I suck, then they're like, "Oh, you ruined it for all black people." Like you get so <laughs> it's a I, so I, situation I, exactly. Oh, I, see, but see, you just hit on something there, right? And what you hit on is stereotype threat. Mm-hmm. All right, and so this is something that is, is interesting. So I discovered this in the, in the '90s from a professor uh, Steele at Stanford. Uh, so, so basically, uh, what happens is, and 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 apparently for some reason within our culture, African Americans suffer from this more than others. But you can impact people's performance by bringing up certain stereotypes. For example, one of the things they did is they gave uh, math exams to students and they'd say something, you know, some stereotype, oh, Asians do better, right? And what they'd find was that white males would do worse. And then they would say, okay, not tell them that, and then they don't do worse. But it's even worse than that. If you even have to so much as check a box, indicate your race or oh, your, wow. right? That could make your performance. High. But here's the thing that African-Americans suffer from that all others that others don't seem to suffer from as much, which is the thought of 
you're going to judge my entire race based on my performance or right. the behavior of other members of my race reflect on me instead of thinking as yourself as an individual and others as an individual, right? And, and we, you know, and, and so you got to like identify these things and chuck them out of your brain. Exactly. Right? Chuck them out of your heart. No, they're not. They're not going to think of, you know. So, well, at the end yeah. of the day, I'm a, I'm a pretty shitty basketball yeah. player, so I, exactly. I would embarrass myself. Like that. So I'm like, I'm not. Uh, whoa, 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 hold on. You're not the only pop locker here. <laughs> oh, what? 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 <laughs> so the way, oh, I'll pass it around the table. Oh, there it is. Oh, if you guys could have seen that, they, they were horrible. You guys it. No, no, no. <laughs> it was an impromptu dance uh, routine. Um, you've seen a lot. <laughs> from a very, you know, broad perspective, scientifically, worldly-wise, culturally, um, what is one thing that you see out in the world right now that you personally have an innovation crush on? Like, what's something you see and you go, oh, my gosh, I, like, that is amazing. I want to be, ah. Oh, man. Yeah, so so that's the problem with, with having my mindset. You know, when you, when you ever you see a nice talk about a new field or something like that, you're like, oh, my God, I want to know more about this. I want to do that. So just doing this thing with DARPA uh, last week, uh, cybersecurity, right? So uh, it turns out that here here's the problem. So Turing, the imitation game was made on the movie, the imitation game was about Turing, right? The inventor of the computer. So Turing did this proof uh, mathematically that showed that, you know, under certain constraints, you cannot have one piece of software that evaluates another piece of software and tells you what that software is going to do. And here's what I mean by what it's going to do. Supposing it doesn't crash, it can do one of two things. It can complete its job and stop, halt, as they say, H-A-L-T, or it can just keep on forever, right? And and there's no piece of software you can write to evaluate that one to determine whether or not that's going to be what, what's, what the outcome is going to be. So one consequence of that is, is that it's almost impossible to write software that can look at software and tell you whether or not it has a vulnerability that some bad person can take advantage of. So, for example, uh, you know, assume that your virus control software has a vulnerability. So your virus control software has access to your entire computer, like the root administrative privileges, right? right? So what the bad guys would do is they'll take, they'll break down that 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 software and look at it line by line, and they find that vulnerability. Then they write an exploit, right? They write something to hack it to take over your machine to do their Bitcoin mining or whatever, right? <laughs> now, how long does it take the good guys to find out? that this has happened almost a year. Typically the average is 312 days. And by that time, you know, whether it's you're doomed. Yeah. Some oh, big bank thing, yeah. has gotten <laughs> hacked or some big retailer online has gotten hacked. Right. And so wouldn't it be great if there was software that you could write that could look at the software and tell and, and solve these vulnerabilities immediately. And then one vulnerability, right. When this thing hit the internet in 10 minutes, it had infected 75,000 computers right no human by the time it took you to open that thing that thing had already spread across the internet so right. this cybersecurity area looks like an area that's really important and really low-hanging fruit to um to you know to, to come in and, and make an impact i love that i need i mean in, in the most simplest terms here or, or ex, the most simple example my website has been hacked three times there you go to the point where i'm like you know what no website. Forget, no website. <laughs> go to my Facebook, go to my Twitter, my Snapchat, forget about the website. I'm not investing any more money on this. Yeah, it's terrible. And they're out there. They're always looking. They're right. trying to get you. And if yeah. and you become a target if you're public. Yep. Yeah. Um, last but not least, breathe this conversation in, huh? It's, oh, yeah. <sighs> Um, that was intense. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, complete this phrase for me. 
innovation to me is innovation to me is curiosity and need curiosity and need how do those things uh but uh, up against one another well sometimes you're just really curious and you're exploring and you're trying different things and before you know it you innovate it right you're just having fun and you're just doing what you enjoy got it yeah Yeah. and then the next thing you know you've made something that's an important that's an important principle right i I think even i I was thinking about this earlier as far as like um entrepreneurs go right sometimes you're trying to think of a business because you want to think of a smart business and then there's a thing you're just passionate about and it's fun to you and you explore it and then you put the business end on it later right right and it's just like you said all these discoveries the thing from the 30s who knew that it would become part of a cell phone you know 60 years later so um that's that's a great uh, yeah. uh comparison um how can people find you where did it, where where are the interwebs uh okay. on hakeem olushe i love saying your name hakeem first of all uh, no yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like you're walking slow motion on the beach um hakeem Olu- <laughs> <laughs> uh no where, where i don't know i'm, I'm on sorry. a horse <laughs> <laughs> Where do people find you? Where, okay, so yeah. on Twitter, I'm yes. at Hakeem Olushei. On Facebook, I'm Hakeem Olushei. <laughs> and if you put my name in your favorite browser, you'll probably get my faculty webpage. And uh, I don't yet have a website landing page. I, I you know, the the forces. I mean, look at you. You don't exist. need one. Look at yeah, you. You are your one. landing page. Well, but suppose you know somebody's like, "Hey, Hakeem, we need you." Right, like Batman has that yeah. little thing he can project up in the sky. <laughs> we found you. Yeah, you know, yeah, but you know, some people can, some people <laughs> yeah, can't. Yeah, but I didn't want you yeah. to find me. I want to. Uh, <laughs> oh, and Exotrex. One more time. I want Exotrex. Oh, so let me tell you. Let me do my plugs. Yeah. yeah so we have Exotrex, the educational video game. Last year, if you want a uh, space book for yourself with time, life, books, and discovery, we published Spaceopedia, the guide to all things space. Whoa. Yeah, and so uh, Outrageous Acts of Science is on right now, Wednesday nights on the Science Channel. And coming soon, How the Universe Works on the Science I Channel. I love it. Yeah. You now you, you, you'll get an Emmy. So much so after. much to learn. I love it. <laughs> let's hang out. Let's, yes. let's, let's learn. Yeah. I'll just be staring at you like, what? what? Uh, okay. That might get boring okay. for me. No, you no, thought you were to... dumb until you met Hakeem. Until I met Hakeem, yeah. yeah. that's so. right, because that's what happens when you meet Hakeem. <laughs> <laughs> you realize, I didn't notice this guy. Maybe I'm not dumb. Gotcha. <laughs> Everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush. Thank you, Peely, for joining me. Um, Thank you, Chris. I want to do this again. Yes, let's do it again. Um, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.